Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, that's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts comes afterwards. There's a, a pew Bible if you need one uh, handy for you. There should be at the end of the, the pew. We're uh, going to sort of pick up where our guest uh, pastor, preacher last week, uh, Aaron Howard, left off. We've had a really a wonderful month, I think, of folks who've been up here delivering God's word to us during this missions month. Uh, Lanier Wood, a former assistant pastor with us the first uh, Sunday of our missions month and now serving with Reformed University Fellowship on the campus of South Alabama that first week. We had uh, Rick Hutchinson, who was formerly a pastoral intern here now over in Springville on the other side of Birmingham. Uh, who is uh, pastoring a church plant over there that launched a few years ago. And then uh, Aaron Howard, of course, last week, who was from Global Frontier Missions, the group in Clarkston, uh, through which we've done our trips. And, and they have a fantastic ministry, as I mentioned before, to refugees. And, and uh, Aaron uh, brought us to this place in Acts that I thought would be good for us to kind of carry forward a little bit more and explore, especially related to uh, our response and what it looks like for us to respond and, and, and follow the Lord's leading, follow the working of the Holy Spirit in our call uh, missionally as a church and as individuals. Uh, when we look at these uh, chapters in Acts, it'll help us to have a little bit of background in mind. If you know, you'll recall the early part of Acts, you have the, the gospel going forth and events like Pentecost, which is where Jews from all over the world were gathered together, all over the known world were gathered together. And the Lord was working there and many came to faith in Christ. And we see that early church forming and beginning to spread but very soon, uh, by the time you get to Acts 8, 9, and 10, that church that was growing and expanding has all of a sudden begun to look inward, be kind of ingrown, lose their focus on reaching and fulfilling that calling, that commission that Jesus had given them to be his witnesses, be those who would give testimony, share about who he is, to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It kind of lost that focus and become a bit ingrown in those early days. And so God does something, and he's got this way of getting done what he wants to get done, whether we go along with it or not. You know, sometimes we have the privilege of participating, the joy of walking with him as we surrender and yield to him, including his missional work. And other times he, he'll bypass us, right? If, if we're not going to jump into that stream, he'll bypass us and find another way to do it. We see in the early church, he kind of does a little bit of both. He takes them and allows persecution to come. And, and folks get scattered out. Because of the persecution on that early church to, you know, various parts of that early world, that Middle Eastern world, we would call it. And in those places, then, they continue to proclaim the gospel and begin to do what they had been called to do initially, but had failed to do on their own volition to spread the gospel message. But it was in a different way than they had drawn it up. It wasn't the way they had planned for it to happen, but God was doing it. In his way. So read along with me a couple of verses from the uh, end of chapter 11 in the book of Acts. 
And then we'll read a few verses from chapter 13, and I'll try to summarize a few things in there as well. And we'll, we'll see how God, through the Holy Spirit, is taking that early church folks and doing something that maybe they hadn't even planned for his good purposes. Now, starting in Acts 11, verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, that's what I was just sharing about, that arose over Stephen... Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. You remember that's an island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And Antioch, that's about eh, 250 miles north of Jerusalem. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And then jump with me on uh, down to the beginning of chapter 13, those first verses. And we're just uh, skipping over chapter 12, but I'll tell you a little bit what happens there. Uh, one of the early disciples gets killed by Herod uh, the Tetrarch, the leader of, the, of that area. And Peter gets put in jail through God's miraculous working. He gets released. And then Herod, for failing to give glory to God, gets uh, struck dead. And we really, at the end of chapter 12, actually read in verse 24, but the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. But God's still moving forward. The purpose of his word and his kingdom. Verse uh, Chapter 13, verse 1, read along with me there. Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, who we've already heard about, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, and went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus and so on and so forth. Take a look with me at two more verses. Verse 48, we've seen now those first missionaries, you might say, being sent out by that early church. Verse 48, after a message has been proclaimed to one of the places where they went, it says in verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, so the gospel's gone, Jews, Hellenists, we'll explain who those were in a minute, and now Gentiles, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for what we can read about the early church And the combination of you carrying out your purposes through the work of the Holy Spirit and at the same time 
doing it in an unplanned way, a, a way that the folks that were involved with it didn't even plan for it to happen and showing yourself to be amazing in drawing straight line with crooked sticks. We ask, Lord, that the same things would be true in our lives, in the life of our church, in the kingdom calling that you give to all of us to live and to be missionally minded. Father, we pray you'd help us to see these things and apply them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you have uh, ever heard the story about the invention of these little things. Uh, Little sticky notes, right? We call them post-it notes, maybe. But I was reading it again this week, and for the youngsters here, I'll remind you that there was actually a time, and and I can remember it, and some others can here as well, that if you wanted to uh, attach a piece of paper to something else, you had to not only have the paper, but have this piece of tape. You had to find some tape somewhere. And then if you stuck it on something, especially like thin little pages like this, you were guaranteed that tape was going to stick too hard and probably rip what you had available. Now, uh, we we see post-it notes all over the place today. I remember when they first got big. I mean, you, you maybe use them to mark a little Bible verse in your car and stick it on your, your dashboard area so you can read it. Uh, maybe use it to mark your pages in a book or a project report you're doing for in your workplace. I remember growing up, my, uh, my mom, when these things first uh, came out, uh, I, I had an issue with eating everything that was in the house as a high school boy. That was my issue. And so if she was using something as like an ingredient for dinner or wanted to keep those bagels or that cheese or whatever for something, she, she would just write N.O. on one of these. And there were N.O. stickers all over the place to try to keep me out of the stuff. They were used for all different things. But I'll tell you what's interesting about these, and maybe you know a little bit of this story. These weren't a planned product. These were what we might call... An accident. And it's interesting to hear the story about it. Uh, They were coming up, the people who designed them, with something different. They were trying to. Uh, A guy named uh, Silver was his last name, worked for the 3M Corporation back in 1970, was tasked with coming up with a, a better adhesive, something that would stick better than what they had at the time. And he tried to do it, and he failed for the purposes of designing that stronger adhesive. Uh, he didn't know what to do with it, but he set it aside. And then about four years later, a friend of his, Arthur Fry, I believe was his name, was uh, was singing in the choir at his church. And Arthur also worked for 3M and knew about this failed adhesive. And, and Arthur was singing in his choir at church and would put little paper bookmarks in to mark the different places in the hymnal. And they, when he was up front and turning pages and so forth, and things would fall out. And so he remembered that adhesive that was designed that didn't really stick so well and kind of peeled off easily. And he started to put it on his little paper bookmarks. And the rest is history. By 1980, they started marketing the things. And it's basically, as we all know, one of the most common office products that you can think of. Very useful. Very helpful. Achieving something purposeful, but not really designed that way from the beginning. Not really the way that the people were involved were necessarily even planning for it to go. 
And what's interesting about our verses today and about this missions month time is that dual reminder that I think is really refreshing. That on the one hand, we're going to see as we look at these verses today, the Holy Spirit is moving and propelling the early church to uh, do what we talk about, to pray, to send, and to go, and to be obedient in that. And at the same time, whether they're fully obedient to that or not, God is working out His purposes. He's carrying out His mission. And sometimes he's taking them even in the ways that they're being disobedient and getting them over on track with what he wants to do to be used for his purposes. That's what's happening in the early church here. You know, folks at 3M, you know, they had to go in some kind of lab. They had to do the research for this product. They had to design it in some way, and eventually they had to promote it. But initially it wasn't what they expected to have happen. So, too, uh, as we as a church commit to praying, to sending, and even going in whatever ways God would call us, there's going to be things that God's leading us to that aren't what we expected, aren't what we planned, perhaps. And we might put it this way. You, you've got a page in the back of your uh, worship guide or a couple of pages you can jot some sermon notes down on. Uh, the main idea that I really think the Lord would bring to us today from this passage is just this, that uh, since the Holy Spirit is working, we should pray, send, and go in mission. Since the Holy Spirit's working, we should pray, send, and go in mission. Now, before we look at what happens in these verses and how we can apply it, the first thing out of the gate is to look at how it happens. So take a look with me at these uh, verses. It's interesting that the book of Acts itself is sometimes throughout church history not only been called the Acts of the Apostles, that's where the word Acts come, but some have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because if you read through the book of Acts and look on each page, there's uh, constant references to the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity. Look in our verses today at what the Holy Spirit is doing. How is this happening? We need to get that first, and then we'll look at what uh, they were doing and, and, of course, what we ought to be doing. Verse 24 of chapter 11, we see it right there, that Barnabas is sent over, and it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. We just read and we got done with those verses in verse 52 of chapter 13. It says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of uh, that famous story of the preacher D.L. Moody, I believe it was. And you've probably heard me share it before, but it bears repeating. That, that man of God who was used in various uh, parts of our country and around the world to share and spread the gospel. And he was preaching on at least one occasion and talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in our uh, culture and church world, we, we think that's some sort of getting zapped in some unusual way and doing unusual things because of, of God and uh, speaking in tongues or whatever. And, and maybe those things have been true throughout different times in church history. But uh, D.L. Moody was talking about it being filled with the Holy Spirit to be used of God. And, and he, he kept saying in this message how I've got to be filled. I've, I've got to be filled over and over again. It's not this one time thing. I've got to regularly be filled. And a woman came up to him afterwards and said, uh, Pastor Moody, 
You're this man of God that's been used all over the world. Why do you need to be filled? Why do you need to be filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit? And he said, ma'am, because I leak. I leak. If that's true of D.L. Moody, how much is it true of me? How much is it true of us today as a church body? That... Without a regular seeking of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of God bringing the Holy Spirit, you know, we're, we're leaky vessels. We've got to have that flow coming in to be doing what the Lord would have us to. So there's a very important reminder that we could spend our whole time on today if we wanted to. But there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then look with me at chapter 13. It is starting in verse 2. It says a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 and verse 4, it says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart these folks. And then going on down to verse 4, verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Here we see that other part of the Spirit's working, not only filling us and enabling us to do and to be who God calls us to be, but also directing, showing us where to go. John chapter 14 and chapter 16 will tell you some more about that if you want to turn over there. Direction and filling from the Holy Spirit. So that's a little bit of the how and a reminder that all of this is the Lord's working, seeking Him to work. Are we uh, doing that as a church body individually, uh, seeking the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Absolutely central to the mission of calling that we have as a church body. But what about the what? What's going on in this early church? Take a look back with me at these verses in chapter 11, and let's take another run at them this way to see what God's doing among the people there and to be reminded about why we're doing what we are doing. We see in the early verses here that the church again has been scattered. They're speaking the word, but listen to what they're doing. They've been scattered. God says, well, you're not reaching out beyond your Jewish heritage, just Jews that had come to believe in Jesus, those early church members. He says, you're not reaching out, so I'm going to, you know, through persecution, fling you out to all these different places. But what are they still doing when they're going there? They spoke the word to no one except the Jews. They're still not getting the message to the ends of the earth. Take it beyond. So they start speaking to the Hellenists. Now, Hellenist is a little tricky to define, but here in this context, I think we can understand it. A Hellenist is anybody that was uh, immersed and learned and living out the sort of Greek worldview. Remember, the Greeks had dominated the world and the Romans had kind of taken over that sort of known biblical world. But the Greek culture, that Hellenist. So these were folks that were probably of some Jewish heritage. But were immersed in the Greek culture. So they, they knew about some of the Bible, but they would have been viewed because of their immersion in the Greek culture as kind of outsiders by the Jewish folks. We're not sure we want to reach out to them. But a couple of folks said, hey, let's share the message and let's see what's happening. They're not sure really what's going on, but the church is growing. It tells us in verse 24. And they sent out Barnabas. He was this reliable guy, as it says here, to go check it out. Is this legit? We want to know. The, the, the command center down in Jerusalem sends him out. And he says, yeah, God's on the move. And then the last part of this is interesting. Verse 26 says the disciples were first called Christians there. That's important, I think. Because it's hard for you and I 
uh, probably most of us, if we come from this American culture, this Western culture, and have any understanding of a Christian worldview and so forth, it's hard for us to imagine a time and place when the word Christian didn't mean anything, had no definition yet to it. This is where it comes to have that definition it does today that hopefully we're realizing in our own lives that it's not just that we grew up in a family that went to church or claimed some reference to Christ. It's not just that we live in a culture that has some Christian mindset or worldview, but that in fact, like the people in the book of Acts who are coming to know Jesus, that we have experienced, we recognize, I'm lost, I'm needy, I'm hopeless, all of the things that we heard about in our call to confession already this morning. And that Jesus has come to make payment pound for pound for you and for me. And that we begin to have our identity in that. And so we want to live for the commandments of God and follow his directives because we know they're good for us. That's his kingdom pathway. All of those things are what it means to be a Christian. And these early believers are just beginning to notice and to understand that and see it expand beyond just the early Jews who were coming to know Jesus it makes me think about a couple of things. One, our, our Sunday school that we've got coming up. I'll say a few words in a minute about the Sunday school on orphan care that Sam McClure is going to be teaching. Uh, we also have a Sunday school class starting up next week for the adults that's called Global Christianity. And I'm excited about teaching it. Some others are going to teach alongside with me because it's going to give us an opportunity to really carry forward a lot of what we've been thinking about in Missions Month. And if you haven't you know, taken that step to sort of visit Sunday school or maybe you have and it hadn't been a priority, it'd be a great time to jump back into either one of those classes. But in, in this class in particular uh, that I'm going to be involved with, we're going to look at the fact that the gospel's running forth to the nations in our own time. The face of Christianity is transforming across the world, and it's an awesome thing to behold. So we see this idea of Christians developing there very early on in Acts as the gospel's going beyond that initial group of people. Reminder, that's our constant calling, to be sending the gospel out. The second thing we see here, if you look at chapter 13, verses 1 and 5, is the kinds of people that are being used in this mission. In this calling. Look at the list here in Antioch of the prophets and teachers in chapter 13, verse 1. Barnabas looks like the most solid credentials. We've already read a little bit about him. And then it's kind of interesting there, just a mix of folks that are, are gathered. We don't really know too much about Simeon, but he was called Niger, which means he was from a country of people of darker skin. Uh, that was his background, so he's coming from a different direction, probably uh, ethnically, maybe racially, than other folks. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is one of those places far removed, and he's come to faith in Christ. And then I really like the last two in the list. I don't know about you. Menean, he was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. If y'all were listening earlier when I said what happened in 12, what's interesting about that? Herod's just been killing one of the early uh, Christian leaders. That's what he just did. He was just struck down dead. And what's happening? People from in the midst of his own court that are part of his leadership team, we might say, are now not only coming to faith in Christ, they're some of the prophets and teachers in the church. Isn't that awesome? 
that God's doing that. And we all know the story. It's sort of an afterthought in this verse one here, but of Saul, who's, you know, work in the early days of Acts is basically killing Christians and now has been claimed by Christ, brought to see his need and is being used to be sent out on this first early mission of the church. Here's the takeaway from looking at this motley crew of folks that are found here in Acts. It's uh, it's easy for all of us here today to look at these things and maybe put maybe put some of these folks up on a pedestal that come through. Uh, Benny and Mary Lou and the Doherty's and the folks that we've seen the past couple of weeks, the Lanier's and the Howard's and these other folks and say, wow, that that's amazing that there are those special people that are really devoted to God and and they don't have my baggage and they don't have my sin and they don't have the stuff that I've got hanging on me. And so they're able to go and do this thing for God because they're these special people in that way. It's interesting to look at this list of folks here, specifically the last two, and have a reminder to us today that whatever we've got in our past, uh, maybe it was that uh, divorce we uh, couldn't stop or chose not to stop earlier on in our lives. Uh, maybe it was uh, those carrying out here in our midst, maybe those shady business dealings that you had in the past in your life, or maybe the not too distant past. Uh, maybe it's not being able to break free from that anxiety or depression that just continues to seem to hang over your head. Maybe it's that need to control every single thing and to not really feel like you can release and let God have control. In your life. We could go through a countless list of things that mark all of our lives here. Right. This is a hospital, not a uh, accelerated class here today. <laughs> this is a hospital of needy folks. We're all coming there. And it can be easy to say, you know, I don't have any part in this stuff because it's for the special people, people that don't have that stuff in their life. And. This is a reminder for us today that as all of that church were involved in sending out that first mission, uh, missionary trip, that we've got the privilege of being able to be a part of that, too, regardless of what we might see in our own life that we think would hold us back from that. And then lastly, we see the impact that each one of us can have as well. And this is tough, too. We not only might think of these missionaries and folks that we've seen as being special class of folks. We're not that part of class of people, so we can't really be useful in it. That that might kind of cloud our judgment. The other thing that can happen as our missions committee has done a fantastic job of exposing us to all different things about missions and church planting and local ministries and so forth, which is what we want during this month, is it can be a little bit of drinking from the fire hose, right? And we hear a great number of things that can be done, but don't choose to do any one particular thing. Right? It's like that old story that we've heard, I'm sure, before of the man who was walking along the beach one day. And it's just one that really helps us think about all of this. And, And he saw the thousands of starfish that were scattered all across that beach, uh, far removed even from the the waters as the tide was receding. And he walked along, taking his daily walk, and he saw this woman up ahead. And she was taking and grabbing one of the starfish 
and carrying the starfish out however many yards into the ocean water and setting that starfish there. And then walking back. And as he walked along, he saw her do this a couple of times. And he, he came up to her and he, he said, he said, what, what are you doing? What are you spending your time doing? And she said, I'm saving starfish. He waved his hand in the air and looked out at the thousands of starfish and said, there's thousands here on the beach. What difference does it make? What does it matter? And, of course, the woman held up the one that she had in her hand at that time and said simply, it matters to this one. It matters to this one. Folks, if we can have a a takeaway from this week, if it's praying, if God says, hey, what's a step that you could take in praying, engaging with missions more in prayer, take the little prayer guide that we've got and maybe commit to praying each week for one of those missions. Set it out by the kitchen table so your household, your, your family, if you've got kiddos, can pray for those folks. Take it to uh, take it to your life group or your small group and be that that person that every time when the prayer time comes up, hey, let's pray for so and so this week. That's 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 something we can all kind of pick to do to be praying for the missionaries, join, join in with the missions committee, right? You don't have to feel like you've got a grand plan for everything that's going to happen missionally with Cross Creek Church. You can just go and pray with the other folks for the missionary. That'd be a way to commit to it. Sending folks. Boy, I am, I am humbled and, and amazed that since the early days of the life of our church, we have had folks that not only uh, have supported generously the ongoing ministry and mission of our church in this community, but have given to that separate funding we call missions funding. That is an amazing thing. I already mentioned the pledge cards and so forth. I just encourage you, just, just ask the Lord. Take that step to at least ask the Lord, what should I be doing? Maybe you've never done anything with participating and giving to missions, and, and, and you, a big step this year would be to take $100. And commit that. Maybe you've been doing that for a while and and given $5,000 has actually become easy for you and God's leading you to take the next step. I don't know what that is, but that's a way that we can send the folks that we are sending out, uh, whether you fill out a card or not. And then let's go, right? Let's be going in this way. We, we want to be doing that in our local community, inviting folks to our church, which you all are doing, and sharing the gospel as we have opportunities. But uh, come and hear about Clarkston after church today and what's going on there. Maybe the Lord would be leading your family. We've got a backpack program that we're about to be working out through our life groups of uh, providing food for some needy families. Jim Freud's helping us to organize that. And I'm thankful for some life groups already that right off the bat said, hey, we're going to help with that and provide some food for kids that go to this uh, school. You've heard about Save a Life. Lifeline's got some opportunities that are coming up that a number of folks in our church are jumping in with to help out with foster care and and the foundry ministries to addiction issues. There's a zillion different things. Don't get overwhelmed by the the forest. Pick pick one of those trees and go ahead and try to chop that one down, right? Whichever one the Lord is calling you to. It matters. It matters to this one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be very involved in directing us, Lord. We, uh, we're so thankful for this month, but we would 
hate for a month like this to happen and for us to uh, all, myself included, uh, sit back and say, man, that was an amazing missions month. That was really inspiring. And then to not have that translate into any specific action on our part, whether it's praying, sending or going. Lord, uh, work these things into our life. Give us some specific thing or a couple of things that you desire each one of us to do and help us, Lord, because we believe in you. Because we know your work in our lives, because the Holy Spirit is propelling us to take whatever step you call us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.